Greetings, listeners. My name is Heidi Bennett, and this is my new radio show at KACRLP Alameda Community Radio. So my show is called Vibrant Visionaries, and it actually already lives as a podcast that I've been releasing out of my home studio in Oakland. And you can find all the back episodes at VibrantVisionaries.com. I'm a coach for multi-creative professionals here in the East Bay and actually all around the world. I coach people over the phone and in person. You can find out more about my coaching business at HeidiBennett.com. Today's episode, I speak with a friend of mine, Jennifer Sir, as we talk about her love of fashion and sewing. We talk about her family meeting and hanging out with circus folk. In fact, her grandmother was a friend of some of the folks who played the munchkins in The Wizard of Oz. That troupe was called the Singer Midgets. So I wanted to say right up front, of course, that using the word midget is outdated now, but that that is the title that they used. And I wanted to give you a little more history on this troupe. The Singer Midgets were a troupe of performers who portrayed the Munchkins. They were organized by Leo Singer back in the 1900s, and he was a Viennese showman. So I just wanted to, again, give you a little context for that because we don't really go into a whole deep dive on them. I'm really excited to be a volunteer here at the station, and I look forward to introducing you to a whole slew of Bay Area creatives. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks, Heidi. It's so great to have you. So Jennifer is one of my very best girlfriends, and she's definitely a multi-creative. So Jennifer, just to get kind of started, let people know a little bit about you, why don't you just tell me a little bit about a few of the things that you do as a local multi-creative business owner here in Alameda. Well, to start, I own The Sewing Room, which is a sewing studio and school for enthusiasts of all ages. And we teach fashion and sewing. So we teach both the fashion arts and the actual sewing of the garments. Um, So fashion includes mood boards, sketching, and fashion design, as well as constructing the garments. In addition to to running the sewing room, I also have a blog where I blog about vintage fashion, mostly the vintage fashion I make for myself. I'm also really into dolls, which sounds really (laughs) funny to say that out loud on radio. But yes, I'm they just make me feel really nostalgic. So I do love dolls. So I make doll clothes and I make doll patterns and sell those online as well. Oh, we also sell sewing machines and fabric and sewing supplies. So we're the only place on the island of Alameda right now that has sewing supplies. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I just wanted to talk a little bit about just who you are as a creative and how you kind of came to doing what it is you do now. Wow. So it all started when I was five. (laughs) I started drawing little dresses for my grandmother. She would she would commission me to make these designs for her and she would pretend to buy them from me. And so we had this little patron um, situation going. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, my grandmother, she was a really interesting person. And we would sit at her dining room table and talk for hours about different things. But she was born in 1906 to a German family who lived in the Bay Area. They first lived in San Francisco and then they, they moved to Oakland. 
And during that time, they had an exotic pet dealership. Wow. <laughs> Sounds kind of funny. I don't, they were exotic pet dealers. I don't think they had a dealership like a car dealership. Oh, here, <laughs> let me go check out a monkey today. But they <laughs> Give did. them a test drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they, um, they sold exotic animals, which today sounds absolutely horrible. But during the time, it was... It was just one of those things. Like during the twenties, people had exotic animals as pets, and but they also had lots of circus connections too. So my grandmother was friends with the singer midgets. Um, she would hang out with them, and one of the stories she would tell me, she would tell me these stories about them. But they all had to have their clothes custom made. Mm. She was also a model during this time, so she would tell me about her modeling escapades, things like that. Also, she she wanted to be a fashion designer, but her parents wouldn't let her. Because she was a woman. They didn't mm. think it was appropriate at the time, which is the perception back then was that that wasn't proper for a, a woman. It was proper for her to be a model and put herself in that kind of environment, which is <laughs> a little hinky. But so her stories about clothes and she had all these great photographs and newspaper clippings. And it just excited my interest in in the whole world of fashion and what that meant and how people got dressed. As a little girl, I really loved everything old fashioned. Mm. And so I think my first love of clothing was historic clothing and Little House on the Prairie, all of that prairie clothing that was popular right. in the 70s. I was so into that. Oh my gosh, I had my times too. Yes. I had my gunny sack dress and uh, had a birthday party that was Holly Hobby themed. <laughs> I had Holly Hobby stuff as well. I think I had a whole Holly Hobby outfit. Yeah. And then, um, so moving forward a little bit, to your um, career in fashion and how you ended up doing what you do now in Alameda. Can you tell a little bit about your, your story? Okay, so in a nutshell, all the women in my family sewed, and that's how they occupied me, and I loved it. I loved mm. every moment of it. So I kept sewing. I sewed all through elementary school and into high school. I sewed a lot of my own clothes, and I eventually started making prom dresses for friends for money. And then when I graduated, I went to fashion design school and graduated from FIDM with a fashion design degree, then worked in the fashion industry for a good 10 years before getting really jaded and <laughs> <laughs> leaving it. I left my fashion industry job as a pattern maker and made wedding gowns for people. And so I had a business making wedding gowns. I simultaneously taught fashion at CCA in the fashion department and eventually left those two jobs to have a baby. And then after my daughter was born, sort of my life changed entirely and I stayed home for a while. I was always doing some sort of work in my head. I eventually started teaching more, teaching little workshops here in Alameda at Julie's Coffee and Tea. So I did that. And then I had a friend who had... Another friend with a daughter who wanted to learn about fashion and about sewing. And she connected us. And then I just taught her in my house. I, she'd come over once a week and we'd sew together and I'd teach her everything I could. Eventually, we grew out of the house and I 
had to move into a different location because there were six or seven kids, which didn't really, and there wasn't much light in my dining room. So, <laughs> so we, we moved over to Rhythmics and I taught there for quite a while. Then I started doing summer camp, which was a whole new thing. Like when I was growing up, you were lucky to go to summer camp, like, and that was far away somewhere else without your parents. Mm -hmm. But summer camp nowadays is a whole different thing because most of the parents work and they need to put their kids somewhere and they want their kids to have fun. So there you go. You have, you have all different kinds of camp. And, and at the time, like there's dance camp or science camp or there's all sorts of camps. There wasn't really a fashion camp that they could go to. And what I found out was kids were really hungry for that. They loved Project Runway, and we made it as close to Project Runway as we could. You know, we had a <laughs> runway upstairs, and downstairs we taught kids how to sew. And, yeah, so I'm actually now in my, I think it'll be my 11th summer teaching wow. fashion camp. And it's a little different now that it's it's all in my shop in, in downtown Alameda. Yeah. I'm curious how connecting to your values and following your personal inspiration and passions has helped you sort of change and pivot and adjust your sales when things were either feeling not quite right or feeling feeling great and you sort of move towards those any anything around that area I'm just curious because I know that you know it's easy to just say I, when I was young I was inspired by fashion and my family and sewing and then I went to school and then I started a school and it started in my living room and then it became a, you know, but there's actually a lot of other stuff that goes on, you know, and, yeah. and I like to share that because I do want people to follow their passions, but it's also a little more complicated than just boop, boop, boop and 11 years and everything's groovy. What can you share about that journey? I would first say that you kind of have to weigh things as they come along and a lot of it has to do with, do I need to bring in money for this? <laughs> so I was doing a lot of different things. And one of the things I did was make pillows out of recycled sweaters, because I think I saw Martha Stewart do it once. And then it was during that whole time when you had to put a bird on it. Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> Portlandia, too. So I was putting a bird on everything, like applicating these birds onto these pillows. And I would go, I was super excited about it because I was, you know, recycling. I was doing, you know, making these pillows. And then I would take them to different craft fairs. Um, I was so into it. But like it took way longer to make the pillows than what I could charge for the pillows. And then when people would be like $50 for a pillow and I'm like, it's really worth 150, but I can't charge you 150. And they would be upset about that. So I had to weigh like, what was the thing that was really making the money because I needed to have some income to pay the bills versus what was really fun. I chose to do the teaching because that was pretty consistent. I had kids coming in. I enjoyed it. You know, I don't really like, to, if I don't like to do something and I'm miserable at it, I, I have learned by now that it's probably not a good idea to do it, <laughs> to continue. I mean, the resentment grows. It's not, it's not a good idea to do things you don't like. Um, so I like teaching. I liked kids. It took a little while to understand how kids are prior to teaching kids. And prior to having my daughter, I'd never been around kids since I was a kid. And, and as a kid, I didn't really like other kids. I was sort of, <laughs> were, I was very sensitive and they were, I always thought they were kind of mean and a little obnoxious. And I was used to being gr around grownups all the time. I found that a lot of these kids were really funny and they were fun to be around. And 
even when they were being mean, they were, like I could see as an adult, they weren't really trying to be mean. Maybe it sounded mean. And maybe the other kid didn't take it as mean. So a lot of it made me realize a lot about myself, too. So that was that was kind of a fun, interesting evolution. Anyway, so I chose I chose to do the kid thing because it made more money than the pillows. And I liked them pretty equally. There wasn't, there wasn't one that overpowered the other. And I, and I still do continue doing a lot of different things because I like variety, but sometimes you have to pivot because you need the money or that you want the money. Maybe you don't need it, but you might want it for something. (laughs) (laughs) You might want to go on vacation. (laughs) You might want to do something like that. So yeah. What kind of things do you weigh out? Like you said, one priority could be bringing in money. What are some of the other things that come to mind about how you say have a pro and con list or I don't know, a gut feeling or it's more a gut feeling than a pro and con list. It's more like, man, that's taking me a lot of time. And like with my blog, it's less of a time suck now because I'm more used to like, I I got a better computer, so it's faster. (laughs) So it doesn't take me a million years just to upload photos, but also just getting used to the programs of, and also getting to be a better writer. Like, so there was a learning curve with the blog. So it's not as much of a time suck anymore, which is great. It doesn't bring in any money. It might be a good um, source of credibility to show people what I do. So I, I still feel there's value in it. And it's really fun to make, you know, historic costumes or make um, vintage outfits and take pictures of them and show them. <laughs> I just, I like looking at vlogs like that. And, and I think other people do too. So I'm continuing to do that, but I don't do it as much as I do, say, marketing my business for the kids' classes because that brings in money, whereas the other thing doesn't. Yeah, I feel like if you have a lot of joy around something, that is super valuable to have in your life because you're going to be happier doing the other things if you're doing something that really brings you a lot of happiness. But I try in my own career, in my own life to kind of only do things that I really enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's things that I don't like. I, I'm not in love with bookkeeping. Sure. But there, it's a means to an end. But yes, to focus on these things. So I really have passion about fashion. And I've kind of sort of tried to drill it down over the years. Like, what am I really, what are my values and what am I really, really passionate about? So let's talk about yeah. that. Tell me... And the listeners, what your values are and what you're passionate about. So I'm really passionate about clothing. I love clothing of nearly every kind. I find it fascinating and weird and wonderful. And historic clothing in particular, they're understanding why people wore the clothes that they did and why they look like what they did when they did. I think I'm just really intrigued by all of that. And part of that comes from my love of nostalgia, too. So So I would say fashion, sort of fashion or clothing in general, nostalgia and fun. Those are my, my biggest values when it comes to my, my business and my life and the things that I do on a regular basis. Sweet. Yeah. Um, I know that's a regular place of conversation for us. So I wanted to share that with everybody else. Um, and yeah, fun is a big value of mine too. So when I think about that, it means that during the day when things are sort of bogging me down or I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to spend my day, like there are things on the to-do list, which might be not that exciting. And then other things like coming here to the studio and hanging out with you uh, that are things I look forward to. 
And when the things that aren't that exciting on my to-do list are there, I try to, you know, think about what's fun about them or make sure that I'm listening to fun music while I'm maybe going and just getting gas in the car or something like that. And it just helps me frame out my attitude towards things. If I'm feeling uptight or irritated about things, I try to turn things around by laughing at something, whether it's a goofy mistake I made, watching a silly video of like a cat falling when it tries to jump on a... <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorite things shelf. actually is like if I'm feeling a little bit down about something, I watch dog and cat videos. <laughs> it makes me so happy. I mean, it's it's like we talked a little bit about gratitude this morning and how that can totally... Gratitude is an amazing... Just the act of being grateful for something can totally change your vibration. Just like watching a silly dog video about someone like brushing their dog's teeth and it's funny. Like that <laughs> is the best. You can feel the difference in your body yeah. when you're feeling joy about something. And the same goes when you're feeling grateful about something. Completely, It can completely change your mood. So last year, my word of the year was gratitude. Mm -hmm. and, and Heidi, you and I do the word of the year thing. Yeah. And one of the things I did is I started a gratitude practice. And it started with an app on my phone. I mm -hmm. got this app called Happy Feed. And every day I put in at least three things. I think you, you can only actually put three things in. And the more I found that I was grateful for things, the better I felt. And I would do it before I went to bed. So if I had kind of a rough day or something, I would just be grateful for more and more things. And that was super, super constructive and helpful in my, in just in the way I lived. And so I've just incorporated gratitude into my daily practice. So now I might write my gratitude list in the morning. I might write it at night. I'm not super methodical about how, mm -hmm. how I do it, but I try to be aware of being grateful as much as I can. I think that's a really good point too about it is that a lot of times, you know, at the beginning of the new year, we're trying new practices or, you know, we have intentions that we're setting and things like that or changing a habit. And I always like to remind people it doesn't, doesn't have to all be at once. In fact, it often doesn't really work if it is. And also to make it reasonable and make it easy on yourself. So don't think of like, it's a new year. I'm going to punish myself by only eating this and getting up extra early and doing this and doing that. It's like the self flagellation almost that's the opposite of what we could do for ourselves which is be kind to ourselves and kind to others and so I think doing something like a gratitude practice where you are doing it like you said maybe you started with a routine of oh I mostly do this at night but you know mm -hmm. if you didn't do it at night you can do it in the middle of the day or in the afternoon or sometimes I like to do that when I'm at lunch. You know, I'm just kind of sitting by myself and thinking about the day. And for me, it can really change my attitude of the day just because I realize like, oh, wow, I'm sitting here and eating and I live in a very prosperous and sunny weathered area and it can be very, just very simple, these these things that we're grateful for. So I'm glad that you brought that up. And the, another thing that I do that's part of my daily practice is writing down my goals. And I don't, I have three goals. I had three goals last year. They're actually the same goals this year. And I was maybe not as successful with them last year, but I also didn't start writing them down every day until recently. 
And I find that that keeps me really focused too. So writing down my goals and then their goals are are written in a way like an affirmation. Hmm. So they're written in the present tense as an affirmation. I like that. Yeah. I like to write things in the present tense too. So an example um, for folks listening of writing something in the present tense as an affirmation would be instead of saying, I hope to dot, 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 you would say, I am, am, or I do, or I, whatever. I feel like that's a way for me to feel like, oh, I'm already kind of living up to that expectation, mm -hmm. or that's already happening for me. It just feels like I don't have to try so hard. It's already something within me. Like, you know, instead of saying, oh, someday I'll get to go over to KACRLP Alameda Community Radio and start a new radio show that will also be available on my podcast at vibrantvisionaries.com, I could just say, I am now a local DJ volunteering at this radio station. And it just kind of sets you into it. What kind of things do you do? And we'll sort of start wrapping up here. What kind of things are typical for you? Or, or are there any of those that you'd want to share? Or are they a little too personal for your affirmations? Okay, so I'll do one that's really easy to remember. Awesome. I am earning at least $10,000 a month, experiencing financial freedom, and have more money than I will ever need. I love it. One of the things that I really like about that is I think that there can be a lot of shame or confusion or disassociation with money goals for people. And I really want to bring some attention to that and even talk about that in future podcasts. And I mentioned a little bit on um, the episode with Skinner that we did a few weeks back and just talking about how it's okay to have money and it's okay to earn money. And in fact, that money can be powerful and that money can help you and those in your community really thrive. And obviously it can help your um, family, you know, get what they need. And uh, having a goal like that, even as a woman, you know, a woman business owner, when we're younger, a lot of us are um, taught to be sort of modest or not talk about money. And I think it's, it's a great example that you're giving that you're saying, hey, I'm a business owner, I'm a woman, and I am standing in my pride and my I don't know what, I'm not sure what word I'm looking for, but just that it's well, okay to be a money earner yeah, and a woman and yeah. to make goals and reach those goals and exceed those goals. Yes. And I have to say like a lot of the way I worded all of that came because I had blocks around money. I had these sort of mental mindset blocks around money. And each of those statements that I say in there is really specific and relates to me reprogramming my brain to think differently about these things. So the have more money than I will ever need came from a feeling of not having enough money at the end of the month. When I when that thought would come up, I would reprogram my brain to say, I have more money than I will ever need. And it really is a fascinating thing to change the voice in your head. And it's actually something I talk about with my students a lot. I have students who are like, I can't do that. I'm really bad at this. I'm really bad at sewing straight. And I try to tell them, well, hey, let's tell ourselves a different story. How about I'm in the process of learning how to sew straight? You know, it changes. It doesn't, it's not any less true, 
It's really powerful. Mm -hmm. It really does. Like you said, it changes the way your brain starts to see things, Mm -hmm. the way you start to view the world. Um, One thing that I work on with my clients sometimes is that that sort of stuff. Like I'll say, okay, I'm hearing this pattern of never enough or always me or this very black and white thinking of like, you're always the victim and things like Mm -hmm. that. And if there is something that maybe you feel deficient in or you'd like to learn more about instead of saying something like I'm never good at this or I don't know how to do that you could say well I used to not know how to do such and such but now I'm putting some energy towards that and looking forward to learning a little bit more just something like that that sort of moves things around and yeah makes you feel again better about yourself and your your journey I mean we don't all just wake up being Oprah you know (laughs) we are human beings of limitless potential but a lot of times we don't give ourselves enough credit that it just takes time and friendliness towards yourself to move towards those goals and reach those and and surpass them. I think that's a really important point about this friendliness to yourself because we could be really friendly to other people and be really not so nice to ourselves. And it's so important to be nice to ourselves. Like we may be the only people who are ever nice to ourselves (laughs) in a day or a month or whatever. So yeah, being nice to yourself is super important. Absolutely. I think that's a great thing for us to sort of finish up on this. And um, just as an idea that I've heard out there and that I've used myself is, is that when you want to be accessing a little bit more kindness and softness towards yourself or towards others, is think of them as them or yourself as when you were a child. Oh, Yeah. I managed this coffee house for years and we were at this certain point where everything was tumultuous and nobody was getting along and it was just all ridiculous politics and you know I I tried to just say you know guys this is just coffee like let's not take it so seriously (laughs) but things were really in an upheaval so I requested that the employees bring in baby pictures of themselves that's brilliant and we made this collage on the wall of everybody and oh my gosh it really broke down the walls just you know looking at my coworker and her dimples as a two-year-old was absolutely you know talk about accessing joy or silliness or fun and softness of heart just couldn't help but you know get along a little bit better with each other when you see each other as a, a little one <laughs> <laughs> Well, awesome. Before we wrap up, I'd like to know and let everybody know how people can find you, find your blog, find your business. Also, if you could share what maybe some of your favorite local Bay Area events that you like to go to that are the, what do you call it, like vintage fashion events and things like that. Absolutely. They're... um, So first of all, you can find me at thesewingroomalameda.com. And you can find my blog at thesewingroomalameda.com slash blog. Perfect. <laughs> Keeping it simple. <laughs> Keeping it simple. And some of my favorite Bay Area events, well, I belong to the Art Deco Society of California, and that's just over in Oakland, based out of Oakland. And they have events all over the Bay Area. There's also a group here in Alameda that's called Peers. I've never actually been to those events, but I've been secretly stalking them on Facebook. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they do historic dances Mm -hmm. and different events. They they do the Ball de Vampire every near. It's always near Halloween. 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 (laughs) They cover all different sorts of eras 
here in Alameda, some of my favorite places to go would be mm-hmm. Julie's Coffee and Tea. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's my second home. Totally. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> that's where we met. That's where we yeah. met. <laughs> I've met so many great people through Julie's and around Julie's. So yeah, that's one of my favorite places. To and there's be. a lot of creative energy there too. Lots of creative energy. Yeah. And there's even a shelf there that I have where I share um, books. I've got my own little lending library at Julie's. So for locals, if you're wondering when you walk in the front door and there's a shelf right to your left, there's another shelf right below it. And that shelf has some books on creativity and uh, compassion and all my you know favorite topics that are there for you to, to read. And, and there's even a gratitude journal (laughs) that you can write in and then put back on the shelf and share with other Julie's customers and employees. I did not know that. I'm going to totally do that. (laughs) So we're going to wrap up today. Again, this is my first but not last episode coming out of KACRLP. Alameda Community Radio. This will also be put out on my podcast feed. And if you'd like more conversations with multi-creatives, vibrant visionaries, you can go to vibrantvisionaries.com. Jennifer, thank you so much for coming in and being a part of this. Thank you so much, Heidi. It was my pleasure. All right. That's a wrap. 